0: Today we are in Psalm number 90, Psalm 90, and we'll look at the first 12 verses, and we'll probably finish the psalm next week, Lord willing, but let's uh, at least go through verse 12 today, and this is an unusual psalm in that it's written by Moses. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now This is the revealed, inspired, uh, infallible, instructive, authoritative word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless this word to us, that we might take it into our hearts, cherish it, believe it, and heed it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the psalm, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God, this makes this psalm the oldest of the 150 psalms in the Bible. The commentators go into lots of discussion about could Moses have really written this? Wasn't it somebody who just wrote like Moses in his style? Well, I think the ancient Israelites knew better. They told us who wrote it, and we accept that. And so with many of the psalms... Uh, you know that we're not given the exact historical context, of what was going on, but we pretty much know, you know, what Moses went through, taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, leading them into the wilderness, ending up to wander for forty years. But one suggestion that one specific uh, portion of Moses. Uh, time as leader of the people of Israel was described in Numbers 20. In Numbers 20 there were three different uh, events that were uh, tragic one was the death of Moses' sister Miriam another was the sin of Moses in this same chapter where he was commanded to speak to the rock but he struck it instead with his staff in disobedience and third, there was the death of Aaron right at the end of chapter tw- Numbers chapter 20, uh, Moses' brother. But remember, Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. They were all supposed to be headed to the promised land, but they were being punished uh, for their unbelief and disobedience. So the first generation of Israelites that, that went into the wilderness did not come out. Uh, they they uh, were not allowed to enter the promised land and even Moses for that sin of his uh, was not allowed to cross over he was allowed to look at it from a distance but he wasn't allowed to enter it and, and yet this uh, this psalm refers to Moses as the man of God we, Moses was not a perfect man as we just heard his his great sin. God said, "Speak to the rock for the water to come out." Moses was angry with the people, and so he struck it. And um, and also earlier in Moses' life, as as uh, he considered God's call to him to uh, to lead his people, he in 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 a fit of uh, passion killed an Egyptian. He murdered. He committed murder. And so Moses was sinful like any other man. And yet scripture refers to him uh, in this this title as a man of God. And also in Numbers 12.3, it says the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. So Moses wasn't perfect, and yet he was a humble man of God. Chances are, as you look back on your life, as you look back in the past, You can find a few blemishes as well. Uh, You're not perfect either. But you desire, if you're a Christian, you desire to be a man or woman of God, as Moses was. And and so this psalm helps us uh, not to lose heart in the face of our own past failures. we can take heart from this message and be encouraged to press on yes in this very brief it's very short life that god has given us press on to follow the lord and the first thing that we discover in this psalm is that god is our dwelling place our age-old question is do you want the bad news or the good news first well in in psalm 90 you get the good news first so hold on to the good news because it's going to change shortly. (laughs) Uh, The good news is, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And again, Moses was writing during a time of wilderness wanderings where they did not have any home, no permanent dwelling place. And yet Moses says, we have found a home in you, O Lord. You are our dwelling place. You know, we long for permanence, and uh, we build our homes, and, and we think that they are somewhat permanent. You know, the, the Jews lived in tents, uh, you know, as they wandered around. But our brick homes or whatever are, are not any more permanent. Uh, they can burn down. They can fall down become dilapidated. They require un- upkeep constantly. And in the end, we leave them behind. Uh, you know, our dwelling places on earth are far from permanent, but just as Israel found a home, a refuge in God, so too you and I can do the same. God, to say that God is our dwelling place um, is to say a number of things. One thing is to say that He is our source of security. Okay? He is our source of security. In Psalm 91, the next Psalm, verses 9 and 10, it says, Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge... Even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. That's the idea of security, of safety, uh, if we know the Lord. So nothing can befall us unless it has been ordained by God. And having God as our dwelling place provides protection, greater protection than the most secure home with the most secure security system that money can buy. Uh, But to have God as your dwelling place implies not only security and protection, but also provision. Think about Israel, again, in the wilderness. As they wandered, there's no food and no water out there. It's a desert. And yet, water and manna were given, and at times other types of food, but... um, So God will provide for you if he is your dwelling place. Would you have God as your dwelling place? In the New Testament, in John 14, 23, Jesus said this. He says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So if God, if you would have God as your dwelling place, you need to, to, first of all, know the Lord Jesus Christ to believe in him. You need to, to love him and obey him. Uh, right? What makes a happy home? <laughs> if you have children in the home, you had children in the home. If we love each other and if children, if you obey your parents, right? Uh, and, and parents, you love your children, then it's going to be a wonderful home. And that's, that's the way it is with God. So the Father and and the Son promised to make their home with us. And God is the refuge, the dwelling place of his people throughout all generations. He was with those who trusted him in the past, with the old covenant saints. He'll be with us and with future generations. And those who are parents, even though our children uh, may be grown, We worry about them, but God has promised to be their dwelling place as well. We go back to the old covenant established with Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 7. God said to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And that's interesting. Uh, we, We tend to think in purely individualistic terms. Well, if I'm going to be in covenant, it's just me and God. I can't, you know, there's nothing to do with anybody else. It, it, you know, each of us has to make an individual decision. And that's true. And yet God promises in his covenant to be not only our God, but the God of our descendants. And the same thing is promised in the New Testament. Acts 2.39, for the promises to you and to your children... Uh, To all who are far off, many generations, as many as the Lord our God will call. So because he's the everlasting God, because he has initiated an everlasting covenant, he can be our our, our dwelling place in all generations. Uh, The covenant time limit doesn't run out. And then verse two, you see, is a very beautiful, poetic uh, statement of truth about God's character, His eternality before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We have a, a challenge to contemplate eternity, the eternal nature of God. Now the world it had a beginning before you formed the earth and the world, which had a beginning from everlasting to everlasting. God existed, and as impressive as as the the mountains and the world is, at one time they were nothing; they didn't exist. Not even the matter, not even the stuff existed, and God made it out of nothing. You and I had a beginning. God created us. Uh, we didn't have a pre existence. Uh, Origin, one of the early church fathers taught the pre existence of souls, that they the, that our souls existed from eternity, but the Bible doesn't teach that at all. You and I, our souls, as well as our bodies, had a beginning. Now in Christ our lives will have no end. But God, you see, not only does not have an end, he had no beginning. Um, think about that for a while. Uh, he alone is truly eternal. He lives and dwells in eternity. He dwells outside of time. That's another thing that we can't really comprehend. In verse 4, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, but like a watch in the night. You know, to God, the passing of a day is no different than the passing of a thousand years. For us, it's a huge difference. Uh, but to God, a thousand years, it's like yesterday. When it's passed, it's already over. It's like, it's, like uh, it's already come and gone. It's like a watch in the night. A watch in the night was four hours. It's not the whole night. It's just, just a watch. It's just a brief time, and it's over. Uh, we can hardly imagine living for a thousand years, even though Methuselah almost made it. 969 years. Can you imagine? living that long but in god's sight methuselah just lived for a couple of hours you know or less now, dr alan ross says that in the eternal plan human life is so brief that it's almost insignificant almost in verse 3 of our text moses says you turn man to destruction and say return O children of men. Literally, this reads, and some translations have it this way, you turn man to dust. So we know that Genesis says we're we're made from the dust of the ground. And to dust we will return. God, the eternal God, He's everlasting. What are we? We're specks of dust who live in a very short time brief amount of time. Stephen Sharnock, in his lengthy work, The Existence and Attributes of God, stated that the eternity of God is the foundation of the stability of the covenant, which is the great comfort of the Christian. So this idea of God's eternity should be a great comfort to us, an encouragement to us. If God had a beginning then he might also have an end. And if that's true, then the covenant would have an end. And our happiness, our very existence, would have an end. But the Bible says in Hebrews 13 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not tomorrow, but forever. Because he is the everlasting God, then he can impart everlasting life. Right, That's what he came. You know, God so loved the world that we would not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, Eternity uh, is difficult to grasp, but it is. If we meditate on it rightly and and think of it rightly, it's an encouragement. Because if he's eternal, then his love, his mercy, his grace toward us, his covenant is therefore eternal. If he's eternal... He's also unchangeable. He is the great I am, which is also going back to Moses as God revealed himself at the burning bush. All around us, life is uncertain. It's chaotic. And yet God is the same. He is eternally who he is. He's a rock. He's a refuge, an eternal refuge throughout all generations. What do we say about this in response? We do what Paul wrote in, with words of praise in 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. In the end, we just bow before him and worship him and to recognize that he himself is our refuge. There is no other. No other is needed. But secondly, from this psalm, in contrast to the everlasting God, we see the weakness and frailty of God's people. We've already noted that man came from the dust. We're returning to the dust. Uh, our life is brief on the earth. Now, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You know, in the original creation, man, was meant to live forever, but sin. Uh, Brought death into the picture. And and this is what we all deserve, of course. And this is where we are all headed physically. We're going to die. Verse 5 uses several analogies. God, first of all, it says, carries us away like a flood. And I read this, this week, uh, the first time I read about this, the floods in Kentucky. Uh, Fifteen people had died. Now it's up to 25 people are dead in eastern Kentucky due to flooding. It carries... Anything a flood carries anything in its path away. Life, you see, is short. It can be carried away in a moment. It's like sleep. You know, you you, you lay down and, and you sleep, and before you know it, it, you know seven or eight hours have passed. Uh, it's like a like a dream that that eight hours uh, went by so quickly. We're also like grass. The grass might be green and tender in the morning, and then cut for hay later in the day, and it's dry. Uh, It's all dried out by the end of the day. Uh, The glory of green grass is short-lived. I like what Spurgeon said. You may have heard me use this quote before. Spurgeon says, Here is the history of the grass. Sown, grown, blown, mown, gone. And the history of man is not much more. So life is short Life is frail. But we need to set, that's, that's one reason why we need to set our mind on the eternal God. On things above, not on things that are on the earth. In verses 7 to 10, we are given the reason, given uh, reasons for our suffering. The frailty and the brevity of life. And the reason is God's just anger over sin. Verse 7 says, we've been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. Now, in the wilderness, God uh, protected his people. He provided for them. He was a pillar of cloud by day to guard them from the sun. pillar of fire by night to protect them. And yet, in 1 Corinthians 10.5, we read that, But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In his anger and wrath, you see, He punished them for their disobedience. But the very next verse in 1 Corinthians 10.6 says, Now these things became examples, became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So we're meant to learn from their mistakes. We are meant to learn that God does uh, get angry on account of sin and that he hates sin, whether it's in the unbeliever, or the believer. Uh, he uh, is angry with sin. Verse 8 You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. There are no secrets with God because not only is he eternal, he's omniscient. He sees everything, uh, you know, and, and he exposes those things that no one else sees. And it says, the, speaks of the light of God's countenance that refers to his favor, to his love. And God has been gracious and loving to us, but we in turn often rebel and go our own way. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And that's a good verse because it tells you that we as Christians can grieve the Spirit of God. And yet we're sealed... For the day of redemption. So so the Holy Spirit is never going to completely abandon us once He takes residence uh, with us. So don't grieve the Spirit by whom you're sealed. Your your salvation is guaranteed. So don't but don't grieve the Spirit of God. We need to pray, as Psalm 19, verse 12 instructs us, Cleanse me from my secret faults. You know, we often are, are only aware of a portion of our sins. Many sins we commit, we, or we maybe we are aware of, they're secret sins and we know about them, but some of those uh, sins are, are sins we're unaware of. So cleanse me from the sins, Lord, even that I'm not aware of. Moses goes on to say, for all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. You know, I've noticed that uh, the older we get, the more we tend to sigh. <laughs> Uh, you know, every time I sit down or get up, there's kind of like a, uh, you know, it's the, the sighing increases. Moses felt this keenly in his, in his own life. as He was forbidden to enter the promised land. Can you imagine what a great disappointment that was? Right. He had put up with the people of Israel and it was challenging for him. And yet he and he led them. He was faithful for the most part. And yet, God didn't allow him to enter in. And surely the people uh, felt this as well. The first generation of weary pilgrims wandering around, going around in circles, getting nowhere, n- not being allowed to enter in. Their days passed away under God's wrath. They wandered and wandered, and then they died and were buried in the desert. It's a sad ending to sad lives. Now, if we can relate we suffer for the choices we've made and the choices that others have made verse 10 gives us uh, something about the average lifespan in Moses day which which is interesting because um, uh, it's 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 still about the same uh, it says you know the days of our lives are 70 years uh, and if by reason of strength they're 80 even if we make it to 80 well, what are you going to boast about? Uh, it's only labor and sorrow. Uh, soon cut off and we fly away. Well, the life expectancy today in the U.S. is about 77 years. And uh, worldwide, it's about 73 years. Uh, but even if, again, if you could live to a 1,000, what is that? Uh, it's a blip on the screen compared to eternity. James says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Verse 11, he says, Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Moses knew the power of God's anger because he saw a lot of funerals in that desert. He knew by experience the power of God's anger. When we think about uh, God's wrath and anger, we should not only think about physical death and suffering, But we need to think about and meditate on eternal punishment, which is the ultimate expression of the wrath of God. Who knows the power of God's anger? Well, uh, those in hell do know it, even though they have only begun to know it because it never ends. After millions of years, they will have only just begun to experience the torments that... They have already experienced because it will never end. So these kind of things that we need to think about uh, because it sobers us up and it causes us uh, to fear the Lord, to have a right fear. Even though you and I are not, if we are in Christ, we don't need to fear hell. Okay, but we need to fear the God who is capable, as Jesus said, of sending both soul and body into hell to think of what we've been saved from and what we did deserve. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. You know, so if, if God has saved you from your sins, understanding the fear of the Lord is that, that you and I need to continually depart from evil. And, you know, the Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is le- leads us right into the last, the third point, a prayer to God for wisdom. So finally, at the end of a very depressing overview of man's sin and God's anger, we have a prayer. And prayer is always a sign of hope. As long as there is prayer, an open door to God's throne of grace in prayer, then there is hope. Prayer tells us that things can change. Things don't, we don't always have to stay. The way we are, we can make progress. We can have God's blessings continue to us in spite of our sins. Prayer encourages us to look to Him who is everlasting, who is our dwelling place. So, in light of who God is, in light of, uh, who we are in our misery and sin, then, um, Moses teach, says, so teach us to number our days that we may present, may gain a heart of wisdom. So teach us to number our days. So we have a math lesson here. We all love math, right? Uh, can you count your days? Well, we don't know how long we're going to live, but again, we know roughly what they are. It's not, uh, They're not very many, really. Uh, if you do the math... You know, multiply the years, uh, divide you know t- by the the number of days in the year, and you put it on a piece of paper. It's not very many. And then, if you're like me, you've gone two thirds or more of the way. Uh, you you see how many days you have left. It's not very many. So, we need to consider how how short life is. But to number our days means much more than simply counting the days. It involves rightly assessing the importance of each and every day. You know, we, we tend to, to place more importance on some days than others. And and yet every day God gives us on the earth, uh, we we need to to, to value it. and uh, we need to learn to live in light, each day in light of eternity. And so that, that involves proper planning. Uh, For the future but mainly for heaven Uh, to number our days is to evaluate them from God's perspective and Psalm 39 verse 4 says Lord make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am we tend to think especially when we're young that we've got plenty of time left and we're we're strong. We can handle life. We we're we're going to be okay. Well, no. We need to know how frail we are, so we will depend on God, and use each day wisely. Ecclesiastes nine verse ten says, "Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going." So whatever God has called you to do, um, and you may be you may be retired. But your life is not over, is it? Is your calling over just because you're retired? No. Uh, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. There's no work, no device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave. We must be redeeming the time, the Bible says, because the days are evil. So buy up the remaining time that you have. That means invest it. Invest it with heavenly Eternal investments. Use it wisely to build God's kingdom. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, here's a wise, a wise use of time. Do good. Do good for others and to others, especially in the body of Christ. Every cup of cold water given in Jesus' name and to his disciples will be remembered. Every tithe and offering we've given will not be forgotten. Every hour spent in the word and prayer will reap rewards for all eternity. So we number our days aright when we have this eternal perspective, when we uh, use our time wisely, especially in seeking to reach others for Jesus Christ. Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom to, toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. In heaven, we will see people that we witnessed to, that we spoke to, who had turned to faith in the Lord. And what a joy that will be to, to see the effect of the word of life that we shared with others um, and to see them there in heaven. You know, uh, one thing you and I can't do in heaven is witness to the loss. We've got to do that now if we're going to do it at all. And if we are wise, we will tell as many as we can, while we can, what they must do to be saved. They may or may not listen, but it is our privilege and our duty to tell them. Jesus himself recognized the necessity of numbering his days in John 9, 4. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night's coming when no one can work. Christ had works that God gave him to do. And he said, I've finished the work you've given me to do. Even before he died, he said that. And yet his death was the completion of all the work that he came to do. And it only took three years. And his life was more full of works than anyone else who lived a much longer life. And Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. Well, as long as you and I are in the world. He says, you also must let your light shine. And so we're wise if we follow Jesus. And Jesus, what was he, what was he all about when he was on earth? He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's how he spent his time. And that's how he that's why he died, the death that he did. Uh, and scripture tells us if we want wisdom Uh, Give us a heart of wisdom, Lord. Teach us to number our days. He who wins souls is wise, the Bible says in Proverbs.
1: Well, as we close out
0: this portion of Psalm 90, remember, first of all, who your God is. He's he's the God of the covenant. Uh, A covenant and our dwelling place through all generations. He's the everlasting God who never changes. And he is your God if you are in Christ. And remember who you are. You are weak and sinful and frail as dust. Remember what you deserve. Remember God's anger over all your sins. But remember that Christ suffered that anger. He died in your place. And look to Him for the forgiveness of sins. But not only that, look to Him for the wisdom to live your life to the full In the short amount of time that you have left in this world. So that's at least a portion now of Psalm 90. Lord willing, we'll look at the rest of it next week. Let's pray together.